Matthew 1, 23, behold, the, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, say it with me, God with us. So the last two weeks, we looked at what this word Emmanuel means. We looked at Jesus is Emmanuel and that Jesus is God, meaning he is eternally preexistent. He always existed, will always exist. And then he came in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, this baby, fully God, fully man. Last week, we looked at that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with, and that God's desire is that he would be with us, not just in nearness and proximity, but in intimacy that God's desire for genuinely with every person in this room is a personal relationship. And this week, we're going to look at the word us, that Jesus is with us. To get you ready, open up your notes, and you're going to take a quiz. Take out a pen, a paper. <clears throat> if you fail the quiz, there's very bad news for you. Just kidding. Um, six questions. We're going to see how smart you are. You ready? If this were a group of kids, I would say, kids, who's smarter, boys or girls? And then the boys would always shout louder. This is called the human nature quiz. Number one, true or false, people are born basically good. Don't answer, don't answer. You're going to give away some of the Let's just, let's just put out a little caveat. Some of you are not going to agree with me or the Bible, and that's fine. Just put your God honest answer in there. Apart from God, God's help, humans cannot do anything that God would deem, quote, good. True or false? The ladies are going to give a big amen to this one. Every part of man... By man, I mean humankind. <laughs> Ladies, too. Every part of man, his mind, his will, his emotions, and flesh have been corrupted by sin. True or false? Number four, sin is a bad crime against God, but does not deserve to be punished by eternity in hell. True or false? Number five. This one will divide the room. Everyone is capable of premeditated murder under the right circumstances. True or false? Finally, number six. If God never gave the world any laws or rules, the world could function in a semi-healthy way. True or false? So I'm going to answer these questions under point number one in just a moment, but let me tell you a little bit about what we're going to do. The Bible has quite a bit to say about human nature, what it means to be a human, what it means to be affected and infected by sin, what it means to be made in the image of God. And it has a lot to say about you. And I'm going to be honest with you. Some of it is not kind. Some of it is very hard to hear. Some of it is very, very difficult. And then much of it is beautiful and great and compelling and inspiring. So this morning, what I want to do with you is I want to tell you the bad news first, okay? I'm, I'm going to be a bummer for a few minutes. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says about you. But don't worry, after the bad news comes the what? The good news. And trust me, you're going to want to wait for the good news. But the good news doesn't mean anything unless you get the bad news. You've got to understand the bad news. Now, the Word of God is like a mirror. And when you look in the mirror, it shows you who you really are. 
Now, have you ever like gone out in public, you looked in the mirror and you thought, dang, I look good, my hair is great, my makeup's awesome, well, ladies, uh, and uh, you think, oh man, I, I'm just, I'm killing this thing. Then you see a picture of yourself, probably on Facebook at some event, and you think, that's what I look like? Are you kidding me? Why didn't anybody stop me or tell me, right? All the dudes are like, no, I never think that. But yes, you do. I know you do. I know you do. Mostly, like, so there are some mirrors, though. Let's be honest. Some mirrors lie. They don't tell us the truth. And every religion, every holy book, every self-help guide is their attempt to be a mirror, to, to make you look in the mirror, and they're going to tell you who you are and what is important to God and what's important in life and what is most important. And not every mirror is true or accurate. Many mirrors are so wrong and misleading. And, and don't get me wrong, I would love to get up and say there's no bad news. There's no bad. It's all just good news. Everybody's happy, clappy. It's going to be great. But that's not what the Bible says. And under point number one, uh, open up your notes. You can write this down. God desires to be with you despite your incomprehensible brokenness. Now, right away, some of you are on the defensive. I'm not broken. I've got it all together. I'm whole. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine just the way I am. I love myself, and I'm so glad you're here, and you don't have to agree with me at the, by the time we're done here. But my job is not to make you agree with me. My job is to put the mirror of God's word up to you and let you look in it for all the good and all the hard. Some of you just got nervous and you said, oh no, did my wife tell him or did my husband tell him what's going on in my life? Is he really going to talk about this? Did he prepare the sermon just for me? Do you know how many times I get done preaching and someone says, who told you? Or something of that sort. I'm like, nobody told me a thing. Like the word of God just tends to, tends to do that. But I think if you could get who we are, I think the good news in Christmas is going to be so much more beautiful and meaningful. Who are we? Warmongers, despots, liars, thieves, murderers, rapists, defrauders, marauders, slanderers, defilers, adulterers, immoral, impure, slave owners, pedophiles, abusers, sex traffickers, porn distributors, torturers, kidnappers, psychopaths. And God took flesh with us. Are you kidding me? Does this make any sense to anyone here? I'm thinking, what could possibly compel you to go to this party? Like, I don't know about y'all, but if somebody said there's going to be a party and all of these people are going to be there, would you go? I wouldn't go. And yet, Jesus laid aside the privileges of deity, and he decided, I'm going to take up residence with them, with us. I'm going to be Emmanuel. I'm going to be God with us. So scripture just overwhelmingly communicates how broken we are. Here's what I want to do. I want to answer those questions. This will be the bad news, then we'll get to the good news. So persevere with me. But look carefully, because as you look into this mirror, you might have different ideas about who you are. And what I want to submit to you is that God is smarter than you. <laughs> Amen on that one? Question number one, people are born basically good. The Bible's communication is so clear and overwhelming, the answer is False. Psalm 51.5. I'm going to read kind of quick so you can write these scriptures down um, if you don't want to turn a hundred times over and over again. But David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. This does not mean, okay, 
that his mother committed a sin and got pregnant. What this means is that David is clearly saying that when I was conceived from the moment that this thing happened, that I was alive in my mother's womb, sin already was having its effects on me, corrupting me and taking me down. That I came out of my mother's womb, corrupted with sin. Every mom and dad, can I get an amen? Your kids don't know how to do anything good at all. Until you teach them, right? And you know that. But Psalm 143, 2, no one living is righteous before you. So according to God's word, is there anyone alive who is righteous before God? None. At this point, you're thinking, but I'm pretty good. And yet the Bible looks at you and says, your best works aren't good. Now, you're good before each other. Like compared to some of you, I'm awesome, right? Can I get an amen from someone on that, right? (laughs) <laughs> just kidding. You gotta go with it. If you don't know me, you're just gonna get to know me, right? This, is, this will be fun. No, honestly, though, like some of you, you're looking at the person next to you and you're like, I'm way better than that person, right? But does that matter? It matters kind of now, like when you're trying to one up each other and make yourself feel good. But let me tell you something it's the wrong mirror. It's the wrong mirror. Because when you look at the mirror that is before God and you analyze yourself and say, yeah, whoa. You mean I have no righteousness in and of myself? None. Well, just to nail the point home, Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 12. Here's Paul's summary statement of humanity apart from God. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now, this should be an attack on your pride. If you're feeling a little bit defensive right now, that's natural. That is called sin because sin wants to preserve itself and say, nobody threatens me. And the word of God shines its mirror up to sin and calls it for what it is, broken. Question number two, apart from God's help, humans cannot do anything. Now, that's a big word. That's all-encompassing. Anything that God would deem good. You don't believe me? Well, let's look at the Word of God and see what it says. In Romans chapter 8, verses 7 to 9, there's this category, this comparison. It's called the mindset in the flesh, which are those who are not Christians, who don't have the Holy Spirit, and the mind that is set on the Spirit. That is, those who have the Spirit of God. And here's what he says. The mind that is set on the flesh, this is the mind that does not have God, is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can not. Is the mind of the flesh, the non-Christian mind, without the Spirit of God, able to submit to God's law according to the Word of God? And the answer is no, but it keeps going. This, this gets a little more personal. Not only can you not, but he says those who are in the flesh can not please God. Cannot. Well, if you're in the flesh, if you're not a Christian right now, you should be thinking, so nothing I do makes God happy? And I want to look at you and say, That's true. Because you and God are not on good terms. And here's what makes God happy. Things done for him by faith. Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is impossible. So you're a millionaire. You're a multimillionaire. You give away millions of dollars every year to poor kids everywhere. And you find a bunch of poor people and you give them money. And you say, look how good I am. And everybody horizontally is looking at you and saying, yay, let's do a program for you and put you on TV and applaud your goodness. That's horizontal, right? But vertically, did you do it for God's name and God's glory? 
No. And this is, this is the point, is that we keep comparing ourselves to each other and saying sin's not that big of a deal because our point of reference, our mirror is each other, and it's not God. But what happens when we look at the mirror of God's word and we stand before a holy God, no longer does my good deed in front of everybody else actually mean very much. I actually look like somebody who's doing something for my own glory, for my own will, my own desire, my own benefits or a tax deduction or exemption. And then Isaiah just nails it home, 64.6. We have all become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous deeds, all the good stuff, they're like a polluted, unclean garment. Bible's hard on us, isn't it? It's like, wow, thanks. Every part of man, number three, his mind, his will, his emotions, and flesh have been corrupted by sin. True. We already saw that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. Has sin given us the ability to think and reason rationally on a consistent basis 24-7? No, it has corrupted our brains to actually process wrong and to see things in a way that is not consistent with God's word. And then the Old Testament goes after the heart, okay? Is the human heart, according to the word of God, a glorious place that should be reveled in? No. It is, according to Jeremiah 17, 9, deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Number four, sin is a a bad crime against God, but does not deserve to be punished by eternity in hell. And again, the Bible comes at us and it violates our Western American conscience where we say, I'm not that bad. And there's this verse in Revelation chapter 21 and, and uh, it goes through all of these different sins and it calls them out, okay? And let me just ask you a question. If you murder somebody, what are you? You're a murderer. If you commit adultery, what are you? You're an adulterer. Okay, now, if you lie, what are you? A liar. If you steal, what are you? And if you buckle under the pressure and you're afraid, you're a coward, right? So we do things once or twice or a hundred times, and we don't think it's that big of a deal. We don't identify ourselves having these issues, right? But if you do it once, it's because it is in you, and it is a part of you. So he lays out, God does these vast array of sins, big ones and little ones. Here's what he says, Revelation 21.8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's, that's code for hell. Like, so you're telling me that God feels so strongly about sin that a liar, he would send to hell. Well, either something is wrong with God or something is wrong with you. But this is the mirror, and we look, we look to it and we say, okay, I think the problem might be, the problem might be that I have so underestimated how serious sin is to God. Like everyone around me, they don't really care about sin a whole lot. Like they want to be happy. They want to make sure I don't do things that hurt them. But by and large, the mantra is if it doesn't hurt anybody else, do whatever you want. But why is God so concerned about the secret places of my heart that nobody sees? You're telling me that if that is in me, he would send me to hell. That's how big of a deal God thinks sin is. And so as Christians, we come into this world and we tell people, we're like, I'm sorry, it's way worse than you think. You and God have a hostile relationship. You are not at peace with God. All of your righteous work that the world applauds does not mean anything because it can't make right what your sin has made wrong. I mean, these are hard words. These are thick and powerful. Number five, everyone is capable 
of premeditated murder under the right circumstances. We're going to say true. I'm going to read you a couple passages of scripture, and I want to tell you the context. We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. And what this is, this is a world where God has withheld himself completely. He has left humans to do what humans do. There is no Judeo-Christian ethic that is preserving them that they grew up with. There is no spirit of God in these people morphing them and changing them. This is a group of people where God has pulled back and said, let's see what humanity is capable of when I don't engage them in any way, shape, or form, left to their own devices. So you're going to read this or hear this, and you're going to think to yourself, that's not me. Here's the problem. Yeah, you might not do this, but that's because God, through common grace, has uh, affected you throughout your entire life. You grew up in a world where murder was called murder, wrong was called wrong, sin was called sin. Even if you didn't believe in Jesus, your conscience from the time you grew up in this country has been formed by this Judeo-Christian ethic. And if you grew up in a a church, even more so by the word of God, if you're a believer, even more so because you have God's Holy Spirit inside of you. But what if none of that ever existed? What if you were left to your own human devices without any intervention, and here's what would happen. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh, all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Romans chapter 3, Paul addresses this context. He says this, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, and they use their tongues to deceive. Does this sound like your work environment, anyone? The venom of asps is under their lips, venom command. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. More amens are shouting inside. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery in the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is you and me apart from God's common grace and allowing us to grow up in this culture and his intervention and apart from God's special grace, saving grace in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. You are capable of much evil, but God has restrained this world from so much sin. We are not as bad as we could be, but the capacity in us is great. It is great. Finally, number six, if God never gave the law world any laws or rules, the world could function in a semi-healthy way. I hope we've already answered that, that we don't have capacity for health apart from God's intervention. We have capacity for brokenness and dysfunction. So I want to go back to another Genesis 6 passage describing that environment where if God were not in it, what would become of us? The Lord saw the wickedness of man. He saw that it was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Some of you are thinking, but I am not that bad. You don't understand, preacher man. I just want to look back at you and say, you're looking in a mirror, and it's not the word of God. Because when you look in the mirror of the word of God, it's going to tell you a very different story about how incomprehensibly broken sin is has made us. Number two, despite your brokenness, you are infinitely valuable. You guys want some good news now? 
Can we get to the happy stuff? I know you guys are like weeping and crying. People are leaving. It's just terrible. I love this. This is a little uh, uh, throwback to last week, if you remember this. But we are hardwired to value and to love those who are made in our image and likeness. You are hardwired by God to do crazy things for those who are made in your image and likeness. And do you know why God did that to you? He did that so you would get a glimpse of how much he values and how much he loves you. He did that. He put that into the very rhythm of your soul. When he created the DNA and the soul of humanity, he said, I'm going to make something so that every mom and dad have this powerful compulsion and impulse to do stupid things for their kids. When their kids are running away, I'm going to run after them. I'm going to be desperate for them. I want to be near them and with them. I want to have a relationship with them. There's something overwhelming in a mom and a dad that makes them want to do this. And you know why that's there? Because God wants you to experience just a glimpse of how much he loves you. Moms and dads, you look at your kids and it's like, man, you're broken. Like, how did I make you? That's called sin, okay? Like, all the things wrong with your your kids, that's sin, right? But guess what? Look in the mirror because it's the same things that are wrong with you too, right? Amen from someone on that. Come on, moms and dads, right? You got little kids made in your image and likeness for the good and the bad. Let's be straight here, you guys, you know. But here's what I want to do. I want to just unpack for you again what it means to be made in God's image and likeness. If you remember back into the summer, we tackled this a little bit in our Sanctity series. But I want to bring you back here because I think this is so beautiful and it's so absolutely important. There's a pastor, his name's Matt Chandler. He asked a really funny question in talking about the image of God. And he says this, uh, who goes in my family if uh, things get financially tight? My wife? (laughs) Breeze over here. (laughs) He said, my wife is the most expensive person in my home apart from me, right? Is it my kids, right? Oh, sorry, you know, L, V, we're not enough money, you got to go. You know, go live with grandma, I guess. You know, like, is that what we do? Do we just get rid of our kids when, like, when there's too much going on here? And then he says, okay, um, what if we're starving? Who gets eaten first? Right? My wife, my kids, my animals, right? And intuitively, what do you say? You say, definitely the animals every time. Why? Because there's something in you that says, we are uniquely and profoundly valuable above all of creation. And are animals good? Not just to eat, but good? And the answer is, yes. And God made everything and said it was very good. But when he made humans, he stopped and said, but now it's very good. Is very good. There's something special and unique and distinct. And in your notes, if you take them out, there are four words you can write down about what it means to be made in the image of God. Number one, we have a soul. There's three words that come with this. The moral, spiritual, and intellectual capacity of humans. We have the ability to discern right and wrong. I mean, you look at an animal, and there is no moral quandary in an animal. We've talked about the lion, and its teeth are dripping with blood as it's devouring the antelope. I imagine an interviewer comes up and says, Lion, can I interview? And he says, How do you feel about what you just did? And he says, I feel great. You know? uh, do you, do you're struggling with the fact that this animal's life is completely over. Will it never exist ever again? I, it's delicious. I don't care. You know, like, there is no concern whatsoever. There is no moral quandary. What is it about us that we are so morally distinct and different from all of creation? No regret. Spiritual side of things. I've never seen an animal get down on its knees and pray. Like, never. 
Not even for a moment. I can't even imagine. They don't ponder eternity. What's going to happen when this life is over? You don't see animals together commiserating over their future and their soul and the past. Like There's something so uniquely spiritually distinct about humans. And then intellectually, just our pure ability to process the past, the present, the future, knowledge, intimacy, the world, life goes, or the words go on and on and on. We are distinct. And all of this comes together to, to describe the soul of a person. But number two is our body. Do angels have a body? No. As far as we know, in the sense that humans do, do, do animals have a soul? No. Human beings are the merging together, unique in all of creation, in the image of God, body and soul. When God said, let us make man in our image, he steps back and, and the son says, I have form and body, so put my, make them in my physical image. The spirit says, I'm spirit, so give them spirit. And so we have this Spirit, the soul and body together, uniquely made in the image of God, coming together in a moral, intellectual way that is distinct and unique from all of creation. And God looks at us and says, you are different. You are unique. You are valuable. You are made in my image. You are my kids. And I'm going to give you a job to do. You have number three, responsibility. Because I love to take chaos and bring order out of it. That's what I did at the very beginning. The world was formless and void, and in six days I created the world. Now I'm going to look at you and say, I've created a world, and there's chaos everywhere. There's things that need to be subdued, and there's things that you need to oversee. So I want you to take this world, and I want you to oversee it. I want you to subdue it. I want you to have dominion over it in my name. I want you to honor creation as I have honored. I want you to lead well. And so he looks at us, and he gives us real responsibility because that's what it means to be made in the image of God. And then number four, is our value. Did Jesus die for angels? No. Did he die for the sins of animals? No. Do the fallen angels have any opportunities for second chances? They're done. But you do. That there's something unique about humans that when Jesus went to the cross, he bore the full weight of God's wrath at your sin and my sin and not my dog's sin or my horse's sin or my guinea pig's sin or whatever it might be. But there's something so special about people. And you know what it is? God made us in his image and likeness. And we are made to understand this. Because when there is something in our image and likeness, we value it and we love it. We value it and we love it. And so if you're here today, despite your incomprehensible brokenness, you are incredibly valuable. Incredibly valuable. And God desires your salvation. He desires for sin to no longer be your master. How many moms and dads do you want sin and darkness to consume your children? Why would God ever want that for you? And as you watch, some of you have watched your kids go through extended season of darkness and, and this deception that comes with this, and they're blind in those moments. They can't see. Everyone else looks in from out, and they say, we see what, what is really going on here. We get the implications of this. Get out of this, because this will kill you, right? And as a good mom and dad, is there anything you wouldn't do? You would jump in it, and you would say, please, and you beg, and you offer. You'll, you'll do anything you can, right? And that's how God is. God looks at us and he says, you are so valuable. Despite your brokenness, despite how much you have messed up so many things, you are so important to me. And nothing you do will change that. At every moment, my hand is extended to you and there is no obstacle between you and me except for your own pride. That's it. I've gotten rid of everything. Do I have to be good enough? No, you just need to receive. You just need to trust me. That's it. Well, what can I do to earn this? Nothing. Did you hear me? 
nothing. I paid all the price. Will you come home? Will you? Number four. Despite your brokenness, you are incomparably loved. You know, John 3.16, there's one little word here that I think gets just overlooked. I want to look at it. For God so loved the world. Like, this isn't just, eh, God was, you know, he's like, oh, I kind of like you, you guys are pretty cool. Hey, you want to go on a date with me? You know, be interested in seeing if this thing worked? Like, no. This is God so love the world. What, is, what does it mean to so love someone? There's a lot of like regular love without the so, but so kind of love does two things. It pursues, number one. It pursues and it sacrifices. It pursues despite what I get from the person, despite whether or not they perform. It pursues because they are inherently value, valuable. And it sacrifices. It gives their absolute 100% total best. Jesus pursued you. If you need any proof, consider God eternally preexistent, taking on flesh, entering into a dirty, defiled, murderous, cold world for you. The light saw us in the midst of darkness. The life dwelled amongst our depression. The just one entered into our injustice. The pure one waited through our defilement. The Holy One became our impurity, and the truthful one just head-on confronted our deceptions. That is so love. Let me just ask you this. Your son or your daughter are the worst plausible circumstance. Is there anything, I mean, any darkness, any defilement, any disgust, anything you would not give up to go after them? Nothing. I can't. I literally would give everything I have, all of my money, all of my resources, my life, if it meant saving my child. There is nothing, nothing that I would give up. I think to myself, I've had these thoughts probably more than I ever want to have. What if my child was 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 a sex traffic child? Is there anything I would not do in that moment? Is there anything? I mean, you see the movie Taken, and you get it. Every mom and dad says, "Ah, yeah." I have a particular set of skills and I'm going to use them, right? (laughs) But everything inside of me says, I can't think, and and you know what this is? This is that little spark of God inside of me that says, yeah, I made you like me. You're in my image and likeness, and that's what we do for things that are valuable, that are made in our image and likeness. And so every kid, you might say, why are my parents so crazy? Why do they just want to know how my day is? Why are they always just trying to ask me questions? And what's going on? It's like, mom, gosh, leave me alone, And Right? And yet, what it, it is that thing inside of us that says, I want nearness and intimacy with those who bear my image and likeness. And then you get older, and you get through the sinful part of adolescence, and you realize, oh, wait, like, my parents are awesome, most of them, and, and I want to have a relationship with them. And something happens as we grow up and we get out of adolescence, and we realize the real true value and beauty of family. Why? Because God made us that way. It's beautiful. And we step back and we look at Jesus and he sees our brokenness and he enters into it. And he literally wades through all of our yuck. And then he sits there. And I think this blows my mind on a cross when he could call down angels right now and say, kill everyone who's a threat to my life. And he just lets his creation torture him. Why? Because is there anything you wouldn't do for your kid? So if you leave here, and you leave somehow 
thinking you're an awesome person, well, just know you're disagreeing with the Bible. But I do pray you leave here, despite whether or not you realize that, knowing you are beautifully valuable and you are so powerfully loved. And nothing will change that. And you can run and you can run and you can run and you can resist. And some of you may run for years and decades. And the day will come when you realize that God has never, ever stopped pursuing you. And his love for you has never gone down. And you'll stop and you'll realize it and you'll say, how could you? And one day, you'll be a mom and a dad or a grandpa and a grandpa. One day, you will find somebody you will mentor and pour your life into them. And you'll begin to understand that parental love is beautiful and it is powerful and it is from God so that we never, ever forget. I want to close, and um, I want to just remind you of what happens when people, broken people, experience God in Scripture. I want to invite the band to come, come up, and there's this story in Isaiah where God um, reveals himself in a vision to Isaiah. And Isaiah, let's be honest, he's a prophet. Isaiah thought he was pretty good to compare to everybody else. Uh, and then the vertical mirror of standing before God and seeing who he is in light of God's presence happens. And here's what he says. He stands in God's presence. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What happens when you stand before God, you realize exactly how broken you are, and then God walks up to him and forgives his sin. John stands before a risen, glorified Jesus, and he falls flat on his face, and here's what he said. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And so here's, there's going to come this day when all of our bloated sense of our own goodness is going to get absolutely demolished. But then we will also see when we understand the depths of how broken we are, how absolutely valuable and loved we are, that God would pursue and be with people like us. Let's pray together. Father, what else can we say but thank you? I love to think that I'm better than I am, and we love to compare but if there is goodness or righteousness in me, it is from you. Because had you removed yourself, I would be nothing, and so would each of us. So God, I pray we wouldn't be afraid to look in the mirror of the word of God. God, I pray that we would be able to look at it and we would be able to own it. And as the bad news sometimes becomes worse and worse, that the good news would become more beautiful and more glorious and more personal and more meaningful. And so God, I pray nobody would leave here this morning stuck in the bad news, but that they would be able to receive the good news that all we have to do is believe and trust in Jesus and all of our sin can be forgiven and you can start to remake and renew and reform us. And what better way to respond than to sing and to worship? Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen.